0: Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life.
1: Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abrel.
0: Welcome to Love & Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abrel. One of the concerns I most often hear from my community is the very real and painful experience of being alone for much longer than many of us expected to be. And that's combined with fear oftentimes that you'll be alone forever. And what that fear does to a person's soul and psyche and emotional state, it's a huge issue. One that I tackle a bit in my book, And one that today's guest has tackled extensively in her new book, Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging by Lise Wilcox, who you've heard before on the podcast. Most recently in episode 163, How to Feel Worthy of Love, Even if You've Never Felt This Before. When Lise wrote Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging, I knew I wanted to have her on the podcast as soon as possible. Because like I said, this is a concern that if you're single longer than you expected to be, you're going to face this. You're going to face feelings of loneliness. You're going to experience the alienation of not feeling like you belong to what others belong to, partnership, to that sense of community of all these other couples are hanging out and here I am, the third wheel, the fifth wheel, the one who doesn't belong to what everyone else is enjoying so much. This is a big pain point. It is not a light matter. It is heavy. It cuts deep. And it's no trivial matter. There's a ton of psych research that looks at loneliness. And in fact, loneliness can be as predictive of physical health problems as being overweight, not eating well, lack of exercise, smoking, feeling Lonely for a prolonged period of time is not healthy. So, it's a very important topic for us to address regarding our physical health and our relationship health. I've mentioned the study that I cite in my book out of the University of Toronto by Spielman et al. The study is called Settling for Less Out of Fear of Being Single from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And the researchers found exactly what we kind of all intuitively know, that if we fear being single, if we despise being alone so much, we are more likely to settle for less in our romantic partnerships. So settling is a thing, and we're more prone to do it if we are so afraid of being single. The researchers also found That those who fear being single, though they've settled in their relationships, they're still more dependent on these relationships, even though they acknowledge the relationships themselves are not that satisfying. Those who fear being single are also less likely to break up with a significant other, even if the relationship isn't working for them. The researchers concluded that those who dread being single are less picky when selecting potential partners. And you know how I feel about remaining picky and selective and maintaining high standards. Which is also research-based because a study by Dr. Donald Bauckham out of the University of North Carolina shows that those who date maintaining high standards step into high-quality marriages. So as I said, I was quite eager to invite Lise to share with you about the process of writing her book, about her own experience of being alone and finding the truth and beauty of belonging. And before she joins us, for any of you who aren't familiar with Lise and her work, let me give you just a few sentences of bio. Lise Wilcox is a conscious relationship coach and mentor with an expertise on finding truth and beauty in the relationships we have with ourselves and others. Passionate speaker, best-selling author of To Call Myself Beloved, and taco enthusiast, she resides in a tiny beachfront town with her family. My conversation with Lise Wilcox after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single, So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amid single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Lise, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you. It's so good to be here again.
0: I love having you on. Like I've said before, you're a fan favorite. So much of your work and your discourse really hits at the heart of what many of the the people in my community are concerned about, what they feel so deeply on a daily level, touching on their fears their, their worry that perhaps the state of the single season, which as my community knows, I was there a long time as well, Mm -hmm. but that this is going to be forever. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting because when I rolled out the audio version of my book recently, I pulled my community and said, okay, which chapter would you like me to release as a podcast? Just a freebie. (laughs) And the one they picked was the chapter 11.
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so, you got it, girl. Oh, no, uh, no reason, no context yeah. there. <laughs> Aww, it warms my heart
0: that you know the chapter. <laughs> so, which brings me to our conversation today, which is why I wanted to have you on as soon as possible to talk about your beautiful work, which you've recently released. Your book called "Alone: The Truth and Beauty of Belonging," and I think. The subtitle says it all (laughs) because at the core of the feelings of loneliness and the fear of being alone, at that core is the fear, the terror Mm -hmm. of not belonging to something Mm -hmm. so significant Mm -hmm. that for many people feels like kind of the point in life, the, Mm -hmm. the whole point. And you address this with so much grace and dignity and hope. And again, beauty, I just want you to just go for it here. <laughs> and I've, I've been listening to Joe Rogan recently. So this long, <laughs> board, I don't know how much time you have, but <laughs> there's so much to delve into here. So mm-hmm. let's start with, obviously, you are single. You've been yes. through a divorce. You've been through cancer. You have been through the things, mm-hmm. many, many, many things. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are writing about your experience and also your journey to not be devastated mm-hmm. and completely utterly demoralized or to value your, your life as less than because you mm-hmm. currently are not partnered. Mm-hmm. Take it away.
1: Okay, so I, <laughs> let me start by saying thank you. And I'm like, just thank you for all of that, for seeing me there and for sharing this with your audience because it is a terrible feeling to feel stuck in this place of, oh, I don't belong to anyone. And I know it intimately, and I will share with you very, very intimately (laughs) that while I was, you know, I think every author writes the book they needed to read, right? So then we find that it's lacking. So we create it and then we offer that to the world. And I think that's a really beautiful, energetic exchange. But in writing the book, because I am such a storyteller and because I am such a romantic, I definitely believed there would be this really beautiful subplot to my own life that would find me partnered by the time the book came out. And what a nice tidy ending. Right. Been, which totally goes in opposition to everything I wrote in the book. And I'm aware of my <laughs> own like human fallacy there. But I really did. I really thought that by the time Alone came out, it would I would have had that like I call it a cookie of like, cool, you did the work, you learned the lesson, you shared your story, and now you have the reward of being in partnership. And I was painfully disappointed when that was not the case. So not only have I lived this, I am living it. And it's that constant readjustment of expectations and that constant pull, mindful pull back to the present moment and allowing things to be as they are versus what we had hoped they would be.
0: And that is such a struggle. It is a struggle. But it is the struggle. It's the only struggle. It really is. And I'm struck by this. When you were going through cancer, we had recently connected on Instagram yes, and you were determined. And I was so, (laughs) I was blown away by the way that you decided to move through cancer. Mm -hmm. You were like, uh, you literally like, right. You were writing your first book Mm -hmm. during your chemo sessions. (laughs) I I mean, and I remember this very vividly. You were like, I'm going to make this beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this woman saying? Mm-hmm. Where's the rage? Where's the shaking her fist at the sky? Mm-hmm. No, she's like, I'm going to buy this beautiful notebook. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have this lovely tumbler for my ice chips. Or <laughs> You were, I was struck by your intentional, like you couldn't choose cancer. That's it, right. It decided to descend upon you, yeah. but you could choose how you responded. And isn't that just that, that's every life struggle. That's that summed up life. right there, it's, isn't it?
1: Exactly. That's it. And the real, again, I'm going to use the word painful a lot because, you know, there's a lot of pain in the truth and beauty. And when we realize, and I think can put language to, ah, oh, this hurts, then it gets easier to accept it because we've mm-hmm. actually given it new life. Right. But in fairness, that cancer experience for me, I was so mad and I was actually lying on my floor, shaking my fists at the sky. Being, and I won't curse now, but I better believe I was cursing at home. It was like, how the beep am I going to do this? And that's when I actually got this divine download, this little whisper of, oh, you're going to make this beautiful. And I was like, excuse me. And I honestly did out loud. I was like, excuse me. And I heard it again that you're going to make this beautiful. And it was that moment having actually gone to the depths of my experience and being so angry, like viscerally angry, that I allowed myself to receive that information of like, oh, I don't know how to have cancer, but I do know how to make things beautiful. So what if I just transfer that over? And that really was like a game-changing moment of my life. Because it's like, if you can be a single self-employed mother of three who gets through cancer and could call it in the end with no breasts and no hair, that was actually kind of a good experience. I kind of feel like you're doing something right. Humbly, I feel like you're kind of doing something Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) no, I just, I, I just, because we're not seeing each other and we're not face to face. I'm as you're speaking, I have this well of emotion and it's just like this, like how, and if you can, and why and thank god you have the platform you do because mm-hmm. you're able to share and you're not and you're able to say yeah i i had to feel all the feelings yes. all the legitimate valid of course you're going to have that feeling of course you're shaking your fist at the mm-hmm. sky how could you not how could you be human and have yes. any other response yes
1: and that's so so this I, and i promise this will like segue into talking about alone but first that was a big part of it because there's a, there's huge rhetoric and like we've definitely normalized when somebody has cancer or some kind of other illness or some kind of unexpected something that they didn't want in their life. There is a, a tendency to, to shame and judge it, right? Like, F cancer. Like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to fight it. I'm a warrior. I'm going to get through this. And for some people, I understand that is the place they need to go to on their specific journey. Mm-hmm. For me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't fight something else. I was so tired of healing from my own personal life trauma. I was like, I, I have nothing left. Like I can't fight this. I'm going to choose to flow with it. And so again, that was a part of this really deep embodiment of like, I cannot believe this is happening and still it is happening. So if I don't have control over anything else, the only thing I am able to manage and put myself back into agency and responsibility for is how I respond to this. And so I chose to flow with it. And so being single has been very similar to that. And keep in mind, I, you know, my marriage ended like six years ago, let's say at the time of recording. And I had two years of basically reliving the twenties. I did not ever have. And so I had like a lot of fun for two years. (laughs) Then I had cancer for two years and then we've been in the pandemic for two years. So not only have I like felt the depths of singlehood, I have felt it in an incredibly otherwise isolating four years of adulthood in addition to being a parent. And when you circle back to my own like early childhood trauma (laughs) the only thing I have ever wanted in my life is like a little happy family, right? And so it's like, I get emotional saying it because it's like, still Mm -hmm. want it. And yes, I still have this really lovely little happy family, but where is this partner? Like, where the hell is he? What is taking so long? So it's such a deep wound. and, And it's the same thing. I have to, and I do this for a living. And I still, I have to consciously bring myself back to the moment and being like, Okay, you are single. We both know that in a relation, in the relationship world, especially in intimate relationships, more doesn't beget more. So it's not like, you know, more action begets more success. I can't do more. I've done the work. I've made the space. I've really intensely discovered who I am. And I love that person so much. I love spending time with her. I do all the joyful things. I do all the things that bring me pleasure. I'm still alone. And you and I are both big fans of sex in the city. And I, oh, yeah. I, I can't shake that image of like, when Carrie and Charlotte go to that dating event. And Charlotte's like, I feel like I've done everything right. And the woman at the front of the workshop, leading the workshop or facilitating is like, well, you'll get there. Like you just, you, ha- you gotta do a little bit more. You gotta, you gotta go deeper and and make some more space. And Carrie's like, no, you need to stop. Like she has done <laughs> yeah. everything. I feel like I am Carrie Ann <laughs> in this moment, right? It's like, no, I've literally done it. Like if anybody has done self work for the express purpose of coming to love themselves and not from a place of like, I got to fix myself because I'm so broken, like from lack, it's me. All of that to say, to segue into it, this is a story that had to be shared because I have been taken to the depths of my own dark night of my own soul to realize, whew, okay, life is not an algorithm. Behavior is not algorithmic. Sometimes you can do everything right. And it does not guarantee you're going to get that cookie on your timeline or within your own expectations. And that is a big deal (laughs) realization, right?
0: (laughs) It's enormous. It's, I was just having literally going back and forth in DMs with a woman who's taken one of my, been part of of one of my support groups. So she's Mm -hmm. a a woman in my community who I know very well at this point. She actually came to a live event at one point Mm. and she was saying these sorts of things like, I don't know. She's like, I know you talk about beliefs and you got to reframe those beliefs. And she's like, I'm doing all those things. She's like, I believe I'm worthy of love, you know, because of our recent conversation as well. And then I came back to her and I I was like, now I want to take you back to consider my book, which is exactly what you said, Lise, and what Carrie was saying on behalf of Charlotte. Like There is an element, and this is the problem, is that so much of the rhetoric in our space, which honestly, I didn't intend to, and I don't think you did either. I literally wrote the book about, listen, you're not doing anything wrong, please just don't settle, please, that's really what I had to say. Totally. (laughs) And I wanted to encourage women who were hearing all the things that I'd heard, right? But once I entered this space, and being a psychologist, then people came to me with the dating questions. And I thought, okay, I, it really wasn't my intention to be some dating yes, expert in court. Yes. Right. It was never my intention because ultimately my fundamental philosophy is that you are you and your journey is your journey. Yes. And when it happens, it's going to happen. And there's nothing you can do. There's no backflips, no yes. the contortions you can twist yourself into. Exactly. Like you're saying, that the cookie, and that's what so many people in this space sell. And it drives me crazy, but it's it sells I know. because when someone is deeply, deeply in pain I know. and thinking if I just pay that $5,000 course I then I will figure it out like Karen Charlotte tried to do yeah. and then I'll meet my person. So I was trying to to remind this woman in my community you know what honestly I think right now like it's legitimately very likely that your person is yeah. like got a job in California he's going to move <laughs> to the Midwest soon and then you're going to meet him. Like yeah.
1: And so then again, so then the only option we have, if you are somebody who is choosing to live a conscious, purpose-driven, passion-fueled life, the only choice you have is to find a way of making peace with it. Yeah. And so for me, that's where the book came from. It was like, you know, and I, I tell the story in the book, I think it's actually the introduction There was a Valentine's day, 2020, like, Oh, just before COVID (laughs) happened. And, and I was just like, I can't do this. Like I'm, I can't be alone on Valentine's day. And I don't know what it was that year, but I just couldn't do it. And so I made these plans. I was so excited for the plans. We were going to go to a drag show. I like released my own control tendencies and let somebody else take care of the tickets. And I was so excited And then that person flaked out, they didn't get the ticket. So all of a sudden the plans just totally fell through. And I was like, well, here we go. Thanks universe. Like we're (laughs) going to deal with this one head on tonight. And so I planned this beautiful date. I was imagining like, what would a perfect date feel like tonight? How do I recreate that? How do I recreate that feeling? And I did it and it was beautiful. And so all of a sudden I realized, okay, it's not the fear of being alone. That is the problem. And I would argue it's not the fear of being alone for a lot of people. It's the fear of being single. So how do we differentiate the two? Mm, and again, mm-hmm. because I'm so granular and I'm such a word nerd, <laughs> I I want to get to the heart of the etymology and the linguistics of it and be like, what is what? Like, how do we name each different thing? Because we tend to chunk all these things together. And it's like, well, you're not actually feeling sad you're feeling resentful, angry, and, and abandoned, and which is much different than mm-hmm. feeling sad. So if mm-hmm. we treat sad, we keep feeling sad over and over and over again, because we're not feeling sad. So the treatments for sadness don't work. We got to go deeper with it. And the mm-hmm. book goes deeper with that. And it examines like, what does it mean to fear being alone? What does it mean to love being alone? I love being alone. My solitude is so precious. So then how does that fear of being single, which is ultimately a fear of, oh my good Lord, I don't feel like I belong. Mm -hmm. That's a primal fear. It is met with a, like a biological response that if I don't belong to the group, I am dead because we are social animals. Yes, And that means something in our body. It means something in our brain. And then it's misappropriated by an entire industry that wants to sell you a problem, Mm -hmm. sell you a solution to a problem that does not exist. And so that's what the book does. Mm -hmm. I hope is it explores that really human experience in great detail, with a lot of laughter, a lot of personal anecdotes (laughs) and many missteps in relationships (laughs) to make it just more relatable of like you are not alone and you're feeling a feeling alone. And that's exactly what the book does. Okay, good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) Those of you who've been listening to Love and Life for a bit will remember my interview with Liz Forkin-Bohannon, the creator of Seiko Designs. Seiko provides employment and educational opportunities for women in Uganda and since that time I've made it a point to try to buy gifts for my friends that have a dual purpose. Something I know my friends will love that also empowers a woman here or abroad. If you'd like to join me and get a jump start on your Christmas shopping, head over to my Instagram page where I'll be sharing the link to join my Seiko shopping party. Thank you so much. So let me underscore this distinction because I think it's a really important one. So you believe from all the kind of the the digging in, like you said, mm-hmm. this granular dig- digging in to what the distinction is between fear of being alone versus fear of being single. So you are saying that the fear of being single is more directly linked to this fear of not belonging, yes. which is definitely even... This primordial need yes. for survival, right? So that that's why it cuts so deep because it's not. It's like I don't belong to the group. I'm not keeping in step with where everyone else yes. is in life. Everyone else is partnered up. I'm not, therefore, I don't belong. And that's a scary. And even back to our our base impulses mm-hmm. and base fears, I could be cut off from the pack yes. and die. I mean, yes. like we're going
1: to that point, and it's terrifying. It is. And if that's a part of our bi- biology, I mean, I, you've done so many podcasts with um, Dr. dwayne Duena- Welch. Yep. Yes. And she talks about this too, about how our biology still impacts us today. And, you know, although we are really evolved humans, we hasn't, it hasn't been in the, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. It hasn't been that long since we were like right. tribal society, right? Since we were a more if you start to take away our fancy houses and our cool clothes and like our social media accounts, we're animals, right? Like when you strip it all down, we still have this animal nature. And so if we still, if that is still true, because as we know, change happens like at this glacial pace, if that's still true, then of course we are still triggered by the feeling that, Oh my goodness, I may not belong to the group. And if you don't belong to the group in that really primal way, then you're left to fend for yourself and fending for yourself means your needs are not getting met and ban your dad. Right? right. Right. I think that's worthy of exploring so we can help understand where these feelings come from. Cause when we understand where those feelings come from, all of a sudden we just have context and we, if we have context and we have that information, which is incredibly empowering, we are less inclined to shame or judge our own experience Of that Mm -hmm. feeling. And if we can strip away shame and judgment of that experience, that is what allows us just to be in the experience and then take agency back by coming to our present moment and being like, okay, I didn't choose to be single, but how can I still flow with it and make the most of it while remaining ideally hopeful and optimistic that I actually can have what I want, perhaps if not on my desired timing.
0: So to appeal to our frontal lobe, to quiet our (laughs) limbic system, which is still convinced that being single means I will die. Like, like that's basically what you're saying, which you're making a very strong argument. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, it's very reasonable. I mean, think it's quite plausible. (laughs) I never quite thought about it to that depth of the belonging piece, which is why I Mm -hmm. love what this work offers to this conversation. And it Mm -hmm. reminds me of a quote in the early part of your book, you say, and since we only ever have control over how we respond to something A lot of this work is to one, dramatically shrink the size and scope of the context to which we even desire to belong and two, reframe what it means to belong, even though the path of life we walk is effectively a solitary one of continually walking back home to our true self, the pressure to belong is huge and is supported by codependent patterns (laughs) perpetuated by pop culture and media, which we've been speaking to and dating and relationship people. Mm -hmm. So, but if we're saying, which I think is so true that this desire to belong is, it's a fixture of the human condition Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it cuts deep on a physiological level. Even how do I do exactly what you are suggesting we try to do one dramatically shrink the size and scope mm-hmm. of the context to which we even desire to belong and two: reframe what it means to belong.
1: Well, this is where it gets kind of dark. <laughs> because, oh. <laughs> and, and again, But again, you know, I, from my own experience, from my own professional practice, I don't understand why people, I do understand why people want to bypass things, but there's no point in bypassing. The more you bypass something, or you don't fully feel it, or you repress it, it's always going to come back louder and more pronounced. So to me, it's like, all right, let's just get out the flashlight, look under the bed and see where the monsters are. You know, like it's going to suck, but let's just do it anyway. And then we feel better. So for me, it's this stark reality that most of us avoid. Like we live in almost perpetual denial, that one day our life is going to end. And if our life is going to end... Something we don't really want to accept. But when we can accept that this is finite, this is one experience, then we can also start to look at the reality that the one person who is always going to be with us from our first breath until literally our last breath, it's not somebody else assigned to us. It's not this notion of like, well, you got to find the one and stay with that one person forever because they will be there forever. No, you are the one. You are the one person who is there in every moment, in, in the good times, in the bad, through richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. It's you. So if it's you, then why, oh, why are we not focusing 90% of our relational focus and our relationship focus on making sure that relationship is loving, tender, supportive, kind, joyful, fun, pleasurable, right? And that's where this truth and beauty I really feel comes into with respect to belonging is that when you appreciate that the truth and beauty is that you are always belonging to yourself, then you're never really alone.
0: And there's so much resistance there. And I get it because it takes a deeper dive than I think. Yes. And I hear what you're saying, like, why won't people do it? And- not coming from a place of judgy Mm -hmm. at all, but just like, you know, the payoff (laughs) is that you can, those fears that are so profound, they are alleviated a bit. You still desire partnership. And that's something else that women in my community really struggle with because they've hear on the one hand, you gotta just love your single life. You go girl, I'm woman, hear me roar. And they're like, well, I want all that, but can I also desire partnership? That that doesn't make me weak or- No, but what it does do if that desire for partnership becomes the primary focus in my life, then what we do is we, we lean into the fear of being single. Mm -hmm. We reframe our experience and who we are, our very identity as less than because we're not partnered. Mm -hmm. And then my concern, what I see with too many women is then they stay in the wrong relationship. Mm -hmm. They get in the wrong relationship. They break up with one guy and jump into the next relationship Mm -hmm. because the fear of being single. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important distinction you're making is so utterly terrifying. They don't care. Just mm-hmm. must have partner in my life now. Check, Don't check. care. Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: You know, I'm a big fan, even having built my business through a very social platform, like a very observed platform. I am constantly advocating that people shrink the size of what they're comparing themselves to, because, you know, I say in the book too, like if we have this primal desire and need to belong, we used to only have to belong to our immediate Family group, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, cool. If I can feel like I belong to these six people, I'm good. But now it's not six people. It's not just our immediate friends, our family, our peers, our colleagues. Oh my God. It's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's Facebook, it's Twitter. It's do I feel like I belong to these millions and millions and millions of people I have access to at any given moment during the day? You know, if I create something and somebody doesn't like it, does that trigger a deeper feeling of I'm going to (laughs) die, you know, just like to make that dot, dot, dot connection. So if we're comparing ourselves to this enormous, this gargantuan social group that literally has no bearing on our life, we're setting ourselves up for more pain and more failure and more disappointment. So when I advocate that people shrink that size of the group, it's like, who do you really value in your life? It's probably not the 3 million people available to you on Twitter. It's probably a handful of people, right? And if that handful of people have values that conflict with yours and they're telling you something about their expectation of your relationship, well, congratulations. You just shrunk your group even further because mm-hmm. all of a sudden they have no seat at this very boundary table with respect to whom you are comparing yourself to, right? Right. Yeah, well, and it, the other
0: element of this conversation is that because you have this community in quotes cuz mm-hmm. I don't know if it really fits the definition of true community. We yes. know that our online quote relationships from psych research, they do not bolster us, they do not support us emotionally yes. the way that face to face. And that's just clear from the research in fact, yes. the more screen time we experience, The more we're on our screens, any old screen, the more likely we are to be depressed and anxious. So Mm -hmm. really speaking to your point, the other thing that gets back to being alone, you never have to be alone anymore.
1: Yeah, I know. Like
0: think about when I was uh, 17 and I went to France for the first time Mm -hmm. and I had like a little summer thing. And I remember... We flew together with this group, with other students. And then there was a part where I had to take a train alone from Mm -hmm. like Paris to, gosh, Angoulême. That's where I was. It was near (laughs) Bordeaux. And I was alone. There was no phone to Mm -hmm. console me. I was alone. I'm 17 years old in a foreign country. I speak the language decently. But that, I mean, that is an experience. No 17-year-old kid will ever have Again, and least not to sound like an old curmudgeon about the (laughs) ways things used to be. But wasn't there some value in me digging deep into myself to figure out if I could do that adventure, to take that challenge? And yes, to sit with my thoughts on a train and look out the window at Pretty Chateau. I know. And we're not doing that. Ever. We never have to feel disconnected. And I'm concerned Mm -hmm. now looking globally at the human condition, which again Mm -hmm. speaks to your book, are people going to be less equipped to manage Mm -hmm. everything you talk about in your book about being alone? Because they don't really have to. They can have these very superficial connections that will Mm -hmm. assuage the angst a bit, Mm -hmm. the loneliness. Mm -hmm. Just put a little band-aid on, but never get to the core of the work that you're talking about.
1: Well, that's right. And then, you know this is more your world than mine, but that creates that dopamine hit. And when I get a little, dopamine is cocaine. So when I get Mm -hmm. a little bit of cocaine, I just want more of it. When I get a little bit of dopamine, I'm going to need some more where that came from. And so not only do we need that, that feeling one time to feel good, we shrink that reverberation time in which we need it more often and more of it. Cause when we hit that upper limit, we need a bigger dose of it. Right? So all of a sudden those phone interactions that we're having, they necessarily have to get longer. They necessarily have to get bigger until you make that conscious choice of returning to a much more human perspective of I'm gonna cut myself off of this. I'm gonna take a step back and really choose to be with my thoughts and go outside or just be on the couch or knit, whatever it is. Just something mm-hmm. to take my uh like brain chemistry and body chemistry back within, as opposed to constantly looking for something else to fuel Mm me. And to ease that,
0: that angst again. And it's sure it's, it's a nice temporary quick fix, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't get down to the meaning, which is something else you talk about, which I love so much. So you say, when we give meaning to something, we give it power so when we are conscious about what we're giving meaning to, we are actually being conscious about the context we're using to shape the world around us. Mm-hmm. And two thoughts strike me from that. Obviously, you know my work with my CBT. I just love mm-hmm. when we look at beliefs and the meaning that, underp- that the underpinning of all of our thoughts and feelings, mm-hmm. it's all the meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So, And that we give it power mm-hmm. and we can take the power back By altering the meaning and what I think so many people don't recognize, unless they've done a little work like Mm -hmm. with someone like you or have done some therapy with a cognitive therapist, they don't realize that that's really in their control. And that's everything. If they can change that meaning that they are ascribing to their circumstances or to any circumstance. And the Mm -hmm. other piece is something that I know you and I both resonate with is that, like you said, about the context we're using to shape the world around Mm us. Once again, let's remember we don't see the world as it is. We see it mm-hmm. through the lenses that we put on as mm-hmm. if we have glasses on. And that again is powerful. We're projecting onto mm-hmm. our world what we believe it to be and the meaning that we're ascribing to all the things. And I just always want to encourage people. And I, I say it all the time and I reiterate mm-hmm. it because I, I can't, to me, I can't overstate how powerful it is. Yes. And that's what your work also does and this book does so beautifully as well.
1: Thank you. To me, it's, I, and I think I say this in the book too, but it feels like a viewfinder, like that toy, that very yes. analog toy from when we were kids, basically <laughs> when we were pioneers learning how to avoid fire. <laughs> that's what my kids think my childhood was. Like, I'm like, right. you know that like I'm 40, I'm not like 400, but right. Okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like a viewfinder that if I'm looking at the viewfinder and I have my little lens of the Muppets in there, that's all I can see is right. the Muppets. If I want to see something different, I have to take conscious action to remove that lens and then put a new one in so that I can see pictures of France or I can see pictures of, I don't know, Sesame Street, whatever it is on the viewfinder that you want to see. That requires conscious action. The work often is subconscious and often requires mentorship, coaching, therapy, healing of some kind, right? But it's a conscious act to be like, ah, I am uncomfortable. I don't like what I'm seeing here. It doesn't make me feel good what I know I have agency over is to change that and to make that, again, that lightning bolt, that conscious decision to take out the old lens and put in a new one.
0: Mm -hmm. And we have that agency Mm -hmm. and we so often, there's a resistance to it too though, Mm -hmm. Lise, don't you think? I mean, I know with with the clients you have, there's, and I felt it too. In fact, when I was first taking cognitive therapy courses in my master's program, I remember being like, well, you can't just, change what you think. I mean, mm-hmm. cause it's just, that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. And then you have thoughts about the way life is. You know, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I was resistant myself, so I get it. And it's, um, like I said, it bears repeating because it yes. really, it's really where all the work is getting back to yes. the notion that we spoke to in the beginning of the conversation that really the struggle is to somehow make peace
1: mm-hmm.
0: with the here and now. Mm-hmm. And all the psych research, as you know, focuses on mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And we find that when we can be in the here and now, Mm -hmm. we are less anxious. We are less depressed. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love & Life family. On that note, a question I get a lot, in fact, there's a woman in my community I'm thinking of, a different woman now, Mm -hmm. and she recently asked me, and I'm really glad we kind of got into this direction because I want to ask you, her concern was how does she make peace, Mm -hmm. which feels very empowering Mm -hmm. and very grounding and liberating even, <laughs> although that's kind of like an oxymoron, a contradiction in turn. Can you be grounded and liberated? I think, I think so. so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going with it. But also not slip into what would be, I think, disempowering, which she considered resignation.
1: Mm-hmm. I think about this a lot.
0: Yeah. Let's please speak to it.
1: Okay. So I will back this up and over-contextualize it by saying that I'm, I'm really spiritual and so when we kind of started opening this, these doors on the conversations about the law of attraction and manifesting things, this mm-hmm. was really appealing because it appeals to that part in so many of us that are like, Ooh, this is kind of like a gateway drug. Like I could have whatever I want. <laughs> cool. Right? And that really speaks to, and, it, and it's true. Thoughts sure. Thoughts become things you get what you focus on. So you want to focus on what you want as opposed to what you don't want. Right? Like we know that to be true. But where the law of attraction was misappropriated is that and, and exploited and capitalized on and abused, like I could go on. Where people have missed the mark is that it starts to become a lot like blame the victim. Well, if you mm-hmm. didn't get it, then you mustn't have wanted it hard enough, right? Or mm-hmm. if you're going to go into the piece of your situation, well, good luck to you because now you just damage your entire inner thought process and now you won't get what you want because you're not thinking about it enough. And there's a really, really important distinction here. If you can allow yourself to be at peace with the way things are with your present moment and be in the flow of that moment by doing things that bring you joy, that make you feel good, that really truly feel aligned with your soul and with whom you are, then you can get this reconciliation of I'm allowed to be at peace with where I am by accepting that while also remaining hopeful that the vision I have of at some point in my life while allowing that vision to also be possible. So we're really pushed towards this black and white, either, or it's like very masculine driven, like make the decision, which one do you want? You want to be at peace with being single or do you want to have a partner? Cause you can only have one. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not true as we know but it's, it's harder going against that pop culture grain, um, that kind of wants you to choose, but the decision ultimately is yours. Again, I do this for a living and I very transparently, I have to consciously work at this probably every day, like probably every single day that I'm allowed to be at peace with where I am. I have so much in my life to be grateful for. There are so many, dreamy qualities to my life that I can't believe are true it's really important to celebrate that to dwell in it to be there to enjoy it while also allowing myself to trust the bigger picture to trust the vision i have of this partner and ultimately of this you know blended family and allow myself to further be at peace with the fact that i don't have any control over the timing i have control over how i feel about a given situation and i'm allowed to be both and as opposed to having to choose either or
0: that was beautifully expressed and i i think what we're facing here oftentimes it's easier to sit with the black and the white right yes. it's easier to go to one side or the other and i think again that's human nature it's yes. the way that our brains are wired we we struggle with that tension we it's hard for us to sit in that ambiguous mm-hmm. in that less defined space mm-hmm. And my, my thought always when I was single and wrestling with all of this this as well was, well, what's my choice mm-hmm. if I don't learn to sit in this mm-hmm. space and learn to to embrace and value and honor the beauty of my journey, though it was not the journey I would have scripted out for yes. myself. My only other option to me was to resign myself. And I hate that, that Mm -hmm. sound resign, resignation, Mm -hmm. to get, to give up, to worse, get bitter, Mm -hmm. to get Mm -hmm. angry, to lose gratitude for all the beautiful things that are happening in my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't, to me, I kind of faced that crossroads, which I think many of us do. You certainly Mm -hmm. did when you faced cancer. We faced that crossroads. And to me, there was no choice, you know, and and Mm -hmm. it's funny because people, especially during that time as I got closer to 40 and still single and, mm-hmm. you know, called off my wedding people at some point started to, I think be a little surprised because they mm-hmm. were kind of re- waiting for me to get bitter and angry yes. <laughs> just by virtue of my experience is not by virtue of my natural te- yes. temperament. I don't think anyone would, would have characterized me as like bitter, angry person. We knew mm-hmm. she was going to get there, but just like, wow, it's, it's been the school of hard knocks in this realm mm-hmm. of her life, not in other mm-hmm. realms, but certainly in this one, I think people sometimes were waiting for me to get, bitter and angry. And then I didn't. And mm-hmm. I, cause to me the choice, there was no choice. It,
1: it takes so much courage to be in that place. Right. Because the resignation is like, I quit. I'm so tired. I give up. Yeah. I'm t- and, and, and again, this is not pot kettle black. I've had moments fairly recently, actually, where I've been like, I think I want to give up. Like, I think yeah. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't want to feel this longing. I don't want to feel this hope, if it's, if hope is going to continuously disappoint me and it's like, okay, hang on a second. Like, what if you could zoom out and look down on your life and realize, for example, you're only 40, you know, there's, there's so much time left. And I think there's this It's a very powerful reconciliation. And to underline this once again, like it takes a lot of work and a lot of self-talk, a lot of Mm self-care and support to be able to be in the place that I don't want to cry every night. Like I don't want to feel like I've got a swipe for my life every night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do want to feel like I can be both present in my life as it is and be really joyful as it is while still holding on to the vision that there could be a really incredible man for me. And my dog is piping up to be like, Yes, I'm an incredible man for you. But not the, <laughs> same, not the same thing at all. <laughs> but, but really, and, and, and truly, that you have to be able to allow yourself to choose to be at peace with the ambiguity. Some days that's so easy, some days it's really hard.
0: Yeah. I did a podcast, I think it was the beginning of this year, about the science of hope. You know, I did uh, my psych nerd thing and I started looking at the research on hope because it is studied. Like so many of these emotions and conditions, sometimes people would think well, they think of psych research yeah. as like lab rats. <laughs> well, it's a lot more than that. And and there's a good body of research on hope and it really makes a difference. And I think that's kind of where the law of attraction kind of got in there a little yes. bit. There there are some realities that, as you said, when we When we perceive our world as a place of opportunity and potential and that we have agency, that obviously fuels hope and Mm -hmm. that gives off an energy. You walk into a Mm -hmm. room, if you're going to a party, you Mm -hmm. walk into the room, I don't want to be here. I got dragged to this stupid party. There's a vibe you're giving off. I mean, there just (laughs) is. Even if you're not scowling, there's a vibe you're giving off. And I think that's where the law of attraction, there's probably some truth to that element. But I I remember when that secret came out and my friends and I were watching it and I have a friend whose mom died at like 46 of cancer and she was livid when we started talking about this. So she's like, so you're saying my mom gave herself cancer and killed herself basically because she didn't have the right law of attraction mindset. And I get that. Like she was really offended by that. And I don't blame her. That being said, I, I believe that there are There's some energetic stuff that's going on that I'm not sure I'm fully on top of. And I wouldn't try to pretend to speak to it because it's out of my realm as a psychologist. But getting back to hope, what you said, and I wrote it down because it's something, again, that really speaks to my community Mm. because sometimes they feel it would be easier Mm -hmm. to give up hope because hope continues to disappoint. And it takes energy to be hopeful. And if I just give it up, won't it just be easier? Mm-hmm. And I don't think they have that option really, <laughs> because what is yeah. the, then to be demoralized and give up your dream and your vision? I don't, I don't really think that's an option, but I understand the appeal. I felt it yeah. sometimes I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to chuck this. I'm just going to love everything else in my life and give up on the partner thing.
1: Well, and sometimes we get so focused on that outcome or that could that quantitative mm-hmm. measurable goal. Right. And I'm trying to even compare this to cancer because I think there are so many parallels, which I haven't really noticed before, but you know, like when I had cancer, there was no doubt in my mind, like the fact that I like the possible reality that I could die and leave my children motherless was like, that's obviously not an option. So like, I'm not even going to think about that. I'm going to go press Mm -hmm. on to make this the best it can possibly be. And so with respect to like being single, we get so focused on this outcome or this goal that we can measure that we forget that it just takes time. And it's like, well, if I can't get it by, you know, I just turned 40 not too long ago. It's like, if I can't have it by 40, then I guess I got to give up. Okay, well, if I can't have it by 45, I guess I have to give up. You know, what if there's a bigger plan here? Like, what if we're just kind of playing a role in this plan? We can, when we can wrap our head around that, that it's not always about us. And that we might just be playing a role in a really divinely orchestrated plan. Well, what if it's just not our time yet? And what if we can, oh, this is hard, but also sink into the reality that sometimes life isn't fair. You know, sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense. When we can embrace that, then we can kind of let ourselves off the hook a little bit of like, yeah, this isn't fair. You do deserve a really loving, supportive partner, and you don't have it yet. And that's hard. So like let's acknowledge that. Let's give meaning to that, that it is hard. And then again, we can start strip away some of that shame and judgment that comes
0: which is heaped on again yes. by culture yes. as we've talked
1: about. Yes.
0: Are you looking for customized personalized gifts? Mug Shop Montreal by Bree Jackson has got you covered. She offers a beautiful selection of high quality personalized custom products. What started off as a fun project for family and friends soon developed into a passion for creating custom keepsakes for anyone for any occasion. She decided to take the plunge and follow her artistic vision by creating Mug Shop Montreal, a home-based business where she collaborates directly with her clients, using their inspiration to design a detailed, heartwarming souvenir that many have given as gifts or have decided to keep for themselves. You can visit her on Instagram and Facebook at Mug Shop Montreal to browse her lovely products. So at least this conversation leads me again to this notion that something that a lot of women in my community will speak to sometimes, which, of course, uh, with my platform and my book and my work, there'll be like sometimes. And I felt this. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I remember one time, gosh, was I in my late 20s? I was I couldn't sleep one night, and I was literally thinking about some kid in middle school who had a crush on me, and he kind of had a crush on me in high school as well. And I was like, Why didn't I give him a chance? Like, what was my problem? Like,
1: like Stuart, sometimes- Stuart McDonald. I have had this exact late night thought. <laughs> Stuart McDonald bought me a pack of Skittles every day in grade nine, and now I'm like, Damn, at least why did he pay attention to Stuart McDonald? <laughs>
0: That's what I'm talking about. Literally, I think when we have these seasons of aloneness and seasons of singleness, we can go, man, maybe I should have given that guy at Stuart McDonald a try. (laughs) And which would have amounted to, and I hate this word, but it's it. It sums up what we're trying to say, settling, which again, mm-hmm. Stuart McDonald is a great man and he, <laughs> I, I, I pray to God he finds his match and it wasn't you, right? Yeah. But the idea of like whatever feels like settling and again, I think that's so pejorative and it, it makes mm-hmm. someone feel like they're not enough and that's not the point at all, but just not the right fit for you. Yes. If you partner with someone who's not the right fit for you, that is in a sense, in essence settling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of similar to what we're talking about here about holding out hope and maybe there's that that tendency, that temptation, even to go, you know what, I'm just gonna give it up. I mean, you said yourself, like, there's times when you go, well, maybe I'll just let go of that yeah. and focus on all these other good things. But I really believe that settling and also giving up the vision, the dream,
1: mm-hmm.
0: for at least the women who are resonating with our work, that's not really an option.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. So I was just thinking that this is in the book too, but the story of I was doing my master's certification in neurolinguistic programming. And one of the women in my class was older. Like she was probably older than me. She was in her maybe late forties and she had just had a a child. So she had kind of done everything later in life. And she got really emotional in a very vulnerable moment. And she was like, I just feel like, you know, I did everything later. Like all my milestones, these, these family milestones I hit so much later in my life. And she had some kind of shame about that. And I, mm. I was very open with her. I was like, that's so interesting. In my life, I had so much shame about, you know, getting married young, having children young. I felt like I rushed those milestones. And I got, as I say, these like this little lightning bolt of clarity, borrowing from Esther Perel, mm-hmm. who says that we usually need three different partners over the course of our lifetime and if you're really lucky or really fortunate you find that person like Stuart McDonald when you're very young <laughs> and you evolve together through each of those three iterations of partnership that you require but as if you want to give a you know a quick nod to the divorce stats after first and second marriages that's usually not the case for most people for most people we kind of take our time to find the right person then maybe we outgrow that partnership and then we find the next one. But that little lightning bolt of clarity for me was, "Oh my goodness. What if one of those 3 partners that we require in our lifetime is ourselves? Like what if those mm. one of those 3 phases is to get so deeply attuned to ourselves and to be in true lovely loving union with ourselves?" that that's the partner we, we require at the time. And so if you want to talk about a really powerful reframe, that's probably my own personal go-to, and it's really prevalent in the book of like, okay, I didn't choose to be single. I frankly if a man, like a six, four outdoorsy guy who's really wealthy, knocked on my door right now. I'd be like, (laughs) we got to end this podcast. Like I got to go see what this. (laughs) But even though that is the desire, this vision that I have of partnership and I believe wholeheartedly it is for me, I can also find that kind of reconciliation that we were talking about by saying, maybe this is part of the plan. Maybe this is part of the design that I am supposed to be in partnership with myself. When people are like, just enjoy your single year. It's like, just enjoy it. It's so great. Live it up. It's, it's not fun being the only person who's cooking and cleaning and emptying the dishwasher and parenting. It's, it's not fun. Yes, there are advantages, but it's not like these wild single years. So I think often when people are like, ah, oh, just enjoy your single time, it's kind of demeaning. But yeah. if you can reframe your time as being like, okay, this doesn't feel fair. It does feel a little heavier. It doesn't feel as wanted as I had hoped. What meaning can I give this? What can I pull out of this? How can I use this experience in true emotional alchemy fashion? How can I (laughs) use this experience that is dark or unwanted and make it something beautiful and make Mm. it something that's more of my own so that, you know, when I'm going back over the the highlight reel of my life, I can kind of look back at the souvenirs from this season of solitary partnership and really really look back so Mm -hmm. fondly on that relationship.
0: Do you link this to your purpose too? Yes. I mean, yeah.
1: I have to be very careful and I'm very, very conscious because I am somebody who has struggled with a lot of codependent patterns in my past. I'm very conscious that I don't let the story of how good I am at overcoming things become the dominant narrative, right? Because it's really easy become beholden to our hardship and our pain and allow that to take the driver's seat i'm really good at overcoming things anytime you have a lot of challenge in your life you get very good at it and also i you know going back to the worthiness conversation i also believe that i am a person of great worth and value that i don't need to have the chaos in order to find the calm like i'm allowed to use this and fuel these insights and the the depth of this emotion in my life's work. And I'm also allowed to be a person who receives beautiful, wonderful relationships without having to go through like the hardship and struggle just to make a point for my business, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's exactly what I was wondering because I think there's a tension there too. Mm. I, you know, you hear terms, which are true, like your mess becomes your message. Yes. Right. And, yes. and I know that there are women in my community who they would rather talk to me because they know I lived it. Right. Yes. Like as opposed to someone who's like, here's what it means to be single. And they married their college sweetheart at yes. 22. Yeah. Like I think the tendency, like you're saying is let's wrap this up in a tidy little bow. Right. So that's why I went through all that. And I don't want to make it that simplistic because I don't believe it is. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you were talking about your, in your book, getting back to the beginning of our conversation that you, in your head, you're like, and then at the end, the final chapter, I'm not alone. Of course.
1: (laughs) I was talking to my aunt about that over the, over our Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. And she was like, why do you do this to yourself? And I'm like, because I'm a writer. Like, I can't not do that to myself. That is the most logical storyline that happens out of this. Right, right.
0: right. Well, and I remember because Eat, Pray, Love came out yes. right after I called off my engagement. So mm-hmm. I'm, it was perfect timing for me. So I read <laughs> Eat, Pray, Love and I called off my engagement and she got out of the marriage that wasn't working but at the end she's got a dude. And I'm like, what? I don't have a dude. Like, <laughs> I'm like, where's my e love? <laughs> I, I'm in the end of my chapter here. Where, Where's my dude? But so I thought it was really interesting that you said that. Cause that, that came to mind right away. And I thought to me, yeah. her story based on where I was and how I was resonating with her story, mm-hmm. I didn't like the ending. Yes. Not that I didn't want her to find her person and be happy, but for where I was, it didn't speak to that courageous, authentic, taking, you know, I'm going to live this life and I'm, and I have to break free of the, the shackles of this formulaic yeah. phony life I've been living. And then for her to like meet her dude in Indonesia, or wherever it was, I, I was like, what? I
1: know. <laughs> well, and I feel the same way. Cause I also find that the narrative is like, again, this dopamine high of like, and then she packed up all her stuff and hiked the entire country. It's like, okay. In the alternative version of most people's lives, you know, to use myself as an example, she went back to living her life as a woman who's just living her life. It's like, yeah. Okay. That's pretty anticlimactic and also incredibly real, incredibly genuine and honest. And I feel there's like a glimmer in there of like, there doesn't have to be any, I obviously had to still tell myself this story too, but like, there doesn't have to be a nice and tidy boat. Life is constantly right. unfolding for us in a way we have no idea. We have no idea what's going to happen next. Right. right. Uh, and I wanted to say too, I, because I think it's really important to underline this. When we talk about like shrinking the scope of the people to whom we're comparing ourselves, Mm -hmm. you can also shift that nature. So for example, the reason that I know chapter 11 is such a powerful chapter in your book (laughs) is because you, for example, are a massive expander for me, right? Like I believe you and Dan got married when you were 42, Yeah. right? So Mm -hmm. you met when you were how old? 40 and a half perfect. (laughs) So it's like (laughs) that, like what a beautiful storyline again, for me and several people like me to turn our attention to, to be like, Oh, right. But it wasn't until she was 40 and a half that she met Dan. They were 40. She was 42 when they got married. Right. Mm -hmm. Changing the, not only the size, but the, the content and the scope of those storylines, magical things happen all the time. If you are somebody who really desires partnership, I I truly believe we want what we want for a reason. Because there's a lot Mm -hmm. of really good stuff in the world and we all don't want the same thing. We have our own unique vision and version of what looks and feels good to us. So if, you know, for me, for hundreds, thousands of people listening, if partnership is what feels good, it's probably there for a reason. Mm -hmm. So when you kind of change that lens, that viewfinder lens, And look for conscious proof that there are people who meet not when they're 20, not when they're in high school being given Skittles every day, but when they're like (laughs) in their forties, in their fifties, looking Elizabeth Gilbert, that partnership, by the way, did not work out. She's had a few and now she's in a partnership, I believe with a woman. And so it's like magical things happen all the time and allowing yourself to change that lens and see What alternative storylines look like is really empowering and gives your brain that kind of, not the dopamine high, but that long lasting comfort blanket that you still have time. Your story isn't over. It just hasn't happened in the exact way you predicted or wanted it to.
0: And to me, that is So powerful. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful because it, again, it, it frees us up. It it speaks to that act principle of psychological flexibility. Can I be flexible enough? And I remember exactly as you said it, the story, I remember at one point in my mid thirties, after calling off my wedding, then I had another romance that went South and the hardest heartbreak of my entire life. And, and I remember thinking, okay, yeah, this is not the story you would have scripted, but yeah. it's also not over. <laughs> You're like yeah. in chapter four, and exactly. this thing has, you know, and and that right, that little reframe, that little paradigm shift, that little lens that then I put yeah. on, right? I stopped seeing the world as I'm older than I should have been, and my yeah. biological clock is ticking, and all these things. I said, no, I am in this in my story, and it's my story. Yes, and I am nowhere near the end, and the potential for this happy ending that I desire so deeply. Mm-hmm as do you, as do the listeners, that is still available to me. And it's going to be a lot more likely that I'm going to
1: partner with someone. Yes.
0: Has that same hope and energy and zest for life? If I maintain my hope and yes. energy and belief and zest for life
1: in a natural way, not a performative way, exactly.
0: Right? Oh, Lisa, yeah. such
1: an important point. <laughs> yeah.
0: It has to be so part of your core, yeah. and that's why I say again, it has it has to be deep, deep, deep and authentic, and it's possible. But like you said, it will be. Daily work, daily yes. mindset adjustments. You know, my sister-in-law is a physical therapist and she mm. says posture is a thousand <laughs> adjustments every day, right? Because <sighs> gravity pulls our shoulders down, right? And so we have to go, okay, shoulders back, chin down, spine straight. And, she, and so she does this every day. She's never going to not do it. Yeah. Because every day gravity will pull us down. So just like you said, your mindset adjustments have to be a thousand adjustments every day. And you'll probably
1: always have to do them. Yes. Always. And that's what I love is that in my practice, I always tell people that, you know, the greatest work in relationships is constant, relentless communication. Like that's the work is checking Mm -hmm. in on people. How's your head? How's your heart? What do you need to feel more supported? And what we kind of gloss over is that that is that is the work of being in relationship with yourself or in partnership with yourself. Relentless communication, compassionately, you know, what, how is your head? How is your heart? What do you need to feel supported? And then being able to give yourself that gift of not only asking, but listening and following through is like, it, it's exactly what you said. I love that. It's just a thousand tiny adjustments. every yes. day. That's yeah. it. That's all. Just a thousand tiny adjustments right. to it. your That's mental it. and emotional <laughs> health every single day. Right.
0: But the encouraging point, and we'll leave with this because I know I've kept you long. But the encouraging point is that the brain is efficient Mm -hmm. and the neural pathways on a physiological, neurological level, they will be hardwired. Mm -hmm. So I say that we'll do this forever, but it will get easier. These positive, affirming mindset shifts, we are literally rewiring neural connections so it becomes our default mode. It's always going to be something we pay attention to and Mm -hmm. be intentional about but it gets easier.
1: And practice makes better. Yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> Lise,
0: i you've left me with a beautiful quote I'm going to carry with me throughout the day. Magical things happen all the time. Mm-hmm. That is so true. And I am so appreciative of our connection. We were saying before we hopped on that stay tuned everyone eventually we're going to do some live events we've we've been planning this for a while and then things happened with things <laughs> and uh, that's our intention and that's our hope and uh, to loop Elliot in as well because mm-hmm. Lise and Elliot have a strong connection <laughs> we, we love there's there's a synergy here and we really want to share that on, on, in, in a live format at some point mm-hmm. sooner than later is, is the hope so but in the meantime Lise people can work with you they can get your book let mm-hmm. them know where to find you and and how to connect
1: LiseFilcox.com is the hub of everything I'm on Instagram at least Wilcox my book you can go through the website and the audio book will be available as well and it's me reading it which is always really nice because it feels like I'm just reading you a bedtime story in your car <laughs> absolutely
0: yeah authors have to read the books in my opinion. yeah I, agree. I it's agree much more personal <laughs> all right well Lise thank you once again for your time and uh yeah to be continued
1: oh my pleasure thank you
0: The love and life hack for this week is magical things happen all the time. And what if one of them is the truth and beauty of belonging to yourself? Thank you for sharing a portion of your day with us. I so appreciate it. If you have a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a quick couple sentences of review. It helps others find the podcast and gives us all the opportunity to expand the love and life family. For more info on all the things, check out loveandlifemedia.com. There you can grab your free Empowered Dating Playbook. You can book a session to work with Elliot or with me or sign up for the waiting list for the next love and life support group. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson-Abrall. And until next time, make it a great week.